So, uh, I got a little bit of an issue sometimes, just to be straight out with you guys. I like playing mind games with people. If I know that I can mess with you, and if I know that I can kind of play with your head, I'm going to do it. Like today, uh, we were messing with Kat a little bit because she came in and she's like, Jonathan, there's something wrong with your hair or different with your hair. And me and Sal automatically were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so we got her to, to believe that he buys a little wax head and just rubs the, the wax off the head and puts it on his hair. And Kat was totally going with it. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. And we were like, oh, this is great. I love messing with people. I once convinced this girl that uh, you could fish in the sky. I, I told her that there's like these tiny micro fish that um, when the water evaporates, they get caught up in the evaporation and you could fish. And she's like, that's so amazing. And I was like, right? And I'll be honest with you, it's even easier to mess with people as a pastor because people just generally believe me. And so it's so tempting to play these mental ninja games. Like if you've been around me long enough at church, you've probably heard this famous saying of me when you offer me something and I go, no, why? Because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I love doing that. So people are like, hey, Pastor Joey, do you want a pop? I'm like, no, dude, I'm Christian. And they'll be like, are, Christ are we not supposed to have pop? <laughs> like, I love how they start questioning their whole faith system. And they're like, are we, are we not supposed to drink soda? I'm, 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 I won't drink it, Pastor. I was like, no, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. So I love, I love messing with people's heads. It's just, how many of you are like me? You just like playing games with people, you know, especially younger people. You like kind of messing with their heads. Here's the thing, though, right? We like messing with people's heads. We don't like people messing with our heads. We don't like being on the other end of that. Cat was not happy with us trying to mess with her. We do, not, we do not like people messing with our heads. The problem is our heads is where the biggest battles go on most of the time. And it's not always the devil, and it's not always people being mean. Sometimes it's our own thoughts. It's our own heads that get the better of us. And then you get caught in this position. I don't know if you've been there, but I know I have. You get caught in this place where there's so much going on in your head that you don't know what to believe. You don't even know what to believe about yourself. You don't know what to believe about this. And then sometimes it's things that have been fed to you your whole life. Um, I had a buddy of mine who uh, he was always told he was stupid. As a matter of fact, uh, just to give you a tidbit, Pastor John, our, my youth pastor when I was just a leader, when he was a kid, he had to wear a sign that said he was stupid. Because the teachers always said he was dumb because he was dyslexic. He couldn't read. So he had to wear a sign that said he was stupid. And I remember in second grade, my buddy, he was always told he was stupid. He started getting tired of it. So I remember one day a teacher, second grade, called him stupid. And he's like, I'm not stupid. You're stupid. And then he left the class and walked home. He just left school, right? So he's like eight. He's like, I'm done. Dipset. And just walked out and went home, right? But here's the thing. He kept getting called that, that eventually you believe that. And that's how powerful mind games can be. It can shape and shift the way you view yourself, the way you think about yourself. If your whole life people have said negative things about you, people have said ugly things about you. I remember uh, the first time I transferred to this new school in fifth or sixth grade. I remember I walked in. And how many have ever gone to a new school before, right? It's already weird. It's already, like, nerve-wracking. I remember I walked into this new school, and it was, like, part way already into the semester. And, you know, when you're new, everybody in that school grew up together. Everybody's been together since kindergarten. And so you walked in. I remember I walked in. I was kind of nervous. And the first thing I heard was some girl in the corner, ew, he's ugly. And I was like, dang. <laughs> like, talk about salty and a bad first step. But guess what? For the next few years, I had this complex that people just didn't find me attractive. I mean, it's already an awkward age, right? I'm sorry. If you guys are in junior high, it gets better. I'm sorry. 
you just you start to smell differently. You start to grow weird patches of hair and weird mustaches. And you're kind of in a funny, physical, like baby fat, but not baby fat. Some of it grows. Don't worry. It gets better for the most part. Some of you ladies, that's as tall as you're ever going to get. But other stuff changes, okay? Other things. Uh, my short girls in the house are like, I know. I just didn't want to admit it. So here's my thing, right? These mental things. They can grow and they can really become serious, serious issues. And so I want to talk to you today about the battlefield of the mind. There's a few things I want to kind of show you real quick, just how severe it can get. And this is the extreme case, but uh, we've all been hearing more and more in the last few years about mental health awareness. And, and it's growing more common every day to hear about that. Well, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, half of all mental health problems begin by the age of 14. Half of all mental health problems begin by the age of 14. It's affecting nearly one in eight adolescents uh, each year. One out of eight, I'm sorry. One out of eight adolescents each year. The number of adolescents who experience major depressive episodes increase by nearly a third from 2005 to 2014. So it jumped by a third, okay? Left untreated, mental health disorders can lead to serious, even life-threatening consequences. And there's a major risk factor to that. Now, the most common mental health disorder is depression. And depression, if it's left untreated, it can grow into really life-threatening situations, things like suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people from the ages of 15 to 24. Think about this. Here's a stat I found that I just found amazing in a sad way. At one point, children between the ages of 10 to 13 we're more likely to die from suicide than by car accidents. That's how extreme it's starting to get. And that's how serious the battlefield of the mind is. Now, those are extreme cases. So I don't want everybody in this room to freak out. It's kind of like when you feel kind of sick and you look up your symptoms on, you know, WebMD. And then you're like, dang, I'm going to cut my leg off because I'm going to die. Like, there's all these. I don't want you to totally freak out. But before I get into all of it, if you feel like you really are struggling with severe depression, if you keep having suicidal thoughts, I really want to encourage you, before we get into everything else, talk to your parents, talk to a counselor, talk to a doctor, talk to someone until somebody listens. And I get it that not always are your parents going to listen. I had a student one time, he had a whole plan on how he was going to take his life, and uh, we were scared for him, and so we called his family, and I talked to his mother, and all his mother said was, thank you, we'll pray about it. And I'm like, lady, we need to get him help, we need to work through this. And she's like, no, that's fine. And it really made me mad, but I'm not the mom and dad, so I can't do anything about that. But what you can do is you could talk to somebody, you could talk to a doctor, you could talk to a counselor, and you want to make sure that you talk to people until you get help. And so by help, I mean, hey, listen, if you need to see a counselor, if you need to get on medication, don't worry about it. Sometimes we freak out about medication. I have asthma, okay? My inhaler's in my pocket all the time. I don't care if you think I'm lame because I have an inhaler, because I'm not about to be dying on the stage out of breath, like, I would have brought it, uh, but you thought it was weird. I don't care what he thinks when I'm out of breath, okay? And so your mental health is something that you need to be in control of. And so don't worry if you're at a point where, hey, listen, I need a little medication just so that I can get these things under control, because left untreated, you might get to that point. And if it really gets into a situation where you really are contemplating hurting yourself, you can call the suicide prevention line. I think we got that number up for you guys. If you want to write this down, uh, I don't know if Jonathan has that one. But if not, you can just write it down from here, 
273-8255. Now, this is serious because a lot of times you might want to call a leader or you might want to call me, and that's fine. We want to be there for you. We want to be a resource for you. But there may be, it may be 2 in the morning, and you may not get a hold of somebody. This is 24 hours. You can call this number. You can text and go through text with them. But there's somebody to be there for you in a moment where it got really, really serious. And listen, there's not much I can do for you necessarily. So if you call me up and you say, hey, I'm going to do it. This is something real serious. I'm about to hurt myself. The, the thing I'll probably do more than likely is I'll call an ambulance to go to your house. And you may not like me. You may get mad, like, why did you do that? My parents are angry at me. Listen, I don't care. I would rather you hate me and be alive. You hear me? I would rather you hate me and be alive. And so I, I don't care about your feelings. I care about your life. And so that's the thing that you probably, I and my leaders are going to do. And, and so if you're kind of like doing it for attention or if you're trying to be weird, we're going to give you that attention. But if it's serious, we're going to give you that help too. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, again... That's the extreme. Most of us are not at that stage. And that's also a problem. Because you hear these terms a lot, we tend to attach it to ourselves a lot. And so, you know, maybe your dog passed away and now you feel like you have severe depression. You're just sad because that's a sad experience. Okay? That's why in my family, me and my wife, I told her no dogs. Because I don't want to love something for 12 years and then bury it. I just, no dogs in my house. I told her we can get a puppy when I'm in like my late 60s and the chances of the puppy living longer than me are close. And so if I'm in my 70s, 80s, we can get a puppy baby and hopefully I'll live the puppy and the puppy will come to my grave every day and just lay on it. Uh, super sad, right? But you're not depressed. That's just sad, okay? And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to have those emotions. But here's the deal, and here's where I want to help you, and here's where I really want to focus in on tonight. Because most of us, we're at a, we have these emotions. We have sadness. We have anger. We have fear. Most of us are not in an extreme case. But one of the reasons why we might get to an extreme case is because we don't understand how to manage those thoughts and feelings when they do come. And so I want to read you just one verse real quick, and then we're going to break this down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he makes an interesting statement. He, he's afraid of something, and listen to what he describes. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What's he afraid of? I'm afraid that your mind will get the best of you. I'm afraid that other people's words, the enemy's words, your own thoughts might pull you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Can I tell you something? You can be a Christian and still be depressed. You can be a Christian and still go through difficult situations. Being a Christian does not exclude that. So a lot of times people might wrongly say, well, hey, you can't have suicidal thoughts and be a Christian. That's not true. Okay. Because the Bible shows us that even the prophet Elijah had suicidal thoughts and wanted to hurt himself. But he got a snack and a nap and was awesome afterward. Okay? So snacks and naps, plan A. Okay? If you need help. So, so he goes through that whole situation. But then here, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He goes, guys, let me tell you something that I'm worried about. I'm worried that people are going to get a hold of your mind. And they're going to pull you away from your sincere and genuine devotion to God. That's what these thoughts tend to do. It starts with a thought. It starts with a small seed. But given time, that seed grows and gives birth to death. And so maybe it starts with your puppy dying or your dog dying and you're sad. But you don't know how to process that sadness. 
So then that sadness begins to grow and it begins to become a part of your identity. And you begin to identify as sad. And instead of coping with it, you start putting sad music on because you feel like you relate to it. But that just reinforces your sadness. Then you start putting angry music because you feel like you relate to it. But that just reinforces your anger. And then you start adding into it. Then you start gathering around negative people because you feel like, well, they can relate to me. But they just are adding gas to the fire. And hurt people tend to find hurt people. So you guys all gather in and you got your super angry emo sad squad and you guys just keep building on each other and building on each other and eventually that leads to an identity and a mindset that will get the better of you that will destroy you and so here's my thing the reason I wanted to talk about it today is because I want to give you some tips on how to prevent it from ever getting that bad I want to give you some tips on what to do when these thoughts and I'm not just saying normal thoughts but I'm saying those not normal thoughts. That thought when you look in the mirror that says you're not good enough. That thought that tells you everybody hates you. That thought that keeps swirling in your mind that says no one will ever love someone like you. We did an exercise with our leaders uh, at our past leaders retreat. I had them pair up and I told them, hey, I want you to take a few minutes and I want you to write, um, you know, like a paragraph of just really nice things about the other person. And so they did that, and then they're like, okay, so I guess we're just going to swap and read it to each other. So after they finished, I said, now put that in your pocket. Next, I want you to write down, I think it was like 10 um, really bold, straightforward statements about the worst things you think about yourself. And so I had them write out stuff like, no one's ever going to like you because you're fat. Or no one's ever going to take you seriously because they don't believe in you. Or whatever it is that they always say to themselves and is a hard thing that they deal with. So they wrote those 10 things out. Then I had them as pairs swap papers, and I said, now I want you to read. So let's say AJ wrote his about his, and I wrote it about mine. Then we would swap, and I would take AJ's paper, and my role was to read it to AJ as if I was saying it. So I would say, AJ, no one's ever going to believe in you because da 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 You know how much that sucked? You know how hard that was for it? Like, <laughs> like, just the first word, it's like, no one's ever, oh, shut up. Like, no one wanted to hear it. It's hard to actually hear those things spoken out loud. But you know what we discovered? It's even worse saying it to that person. Because every moment we were saying it, we're like, I don't believe what I'm saying to you. But what's the thing? It's not that it's true. It's that it's what you believe. It's the thought that you've kept listening to, that you've held on to, that you've allowed to grow, that you've allowed to get the better of you. So there's a few keys to managing these thoughts. And the first one is this. Number one. You have to learn to restrain them. Restrain. That word restrain, it means to get a hold of something and prevent it from doing something else. So cops, they restrain the bad guys, right? They, they hold them down. They hold them back. When you have a negative thought floating around in your head, when you have this thought that causes you to feel bad emotions, the first thing you need to do is restrain it, grab a hold of it. And what I mean by restrain is take a second and look at that. Don't just let it walk by. Don't just let it be fleeting. Acknowledge that you just thought that. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So here's one of the things you can do. I have a negative thought. I, I, my thought is... That no one's ever going to like me because I'm not attractive. Because that dumb girl in fifth grade said I was ugly. By the way, she's ugly now too. But um, let's say that's my thought, right? When I capture it, here's what I do. I'm going to take it 
Here's the thought. I'm going to bring it to Christ because the Bible says that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So I'm bringing it to Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, is this true? Does this line up with what you say about me? And when the word looks back at me, it goes, nope, I said you're a masterpiece. You are wonderfully and complicated and you're amazing. And you're great. I'm like, bam, I'm going to believe that. This captured thought is not true. Throw it in the trash can. Okay? When you learn to take those thoughts and submit them to Christ, you no longer become the authority of its validity, the Bible does. And what I mean by that is, when you, when you say, well, people think I'm ugly. No, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God worked hard on me, and how dare I insult what he was willing to die for. Absolutely, God. I don't care what everybody else says anymore. You know why? Because they're dumb, and he's not. Bam, easy on that one. Okay? And then you learn to submit. So when you learn to do that, when you learn to get a hold of it, not ignore it, not let it float around, not let it run wild in your brain, but say, no, you stop it. You come here right now. Let me bring you to the authority. It would be like if you guys were all at a place where you needed to have a badge, you needed to have a ticket, and somebody's floating around without one, security's going to say, sir, ma'am, come here. Why? Because you don't belong in this place. You don't have access to this place. You're running around here, and you're not supposed to be here. So when those thoughts float around in your mind, when you learn to capture it, and you learn to bring it up and say, all right, God, does he belong in my head? And God goes, absolutely not. Then you would understand to say, listen, I got to get rid of that. So number one is you got to learn to refrain. Get a hold of it. And listen, sometimes that's hard to do. Like I said, sitting down, writing down all the negative things. Nobody likes to do that. Our, our number one approach to any negative thought is ignoring. I'm just going to ignore it. Now, I'm not saying dwell in it. There's a difference between capturing it and dwelling in it. That word dwelling means we're just letting it marinate. We're just going to think about that all day long. Okay? That's how it does lead to depression. That's how it does lead to insecure feelings and all those other things. When you dwell in it. I'm not dwelling in it. I'm taking it to the authority. And I'm saying this is not true. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to say, God, rebuke that in Jesus' name. That is not who you call me to be. That is not who I am in Jesus' name. And sometimes those thoughts are true. Sometimes they're your past. You know, I was uh, thinking about this the other day. I was reading in Corinthians, or not Corinthians. I was reading where Paul talks about how he had a tormentor, a thorn in his side. Uh, a demon to torment him as he describes it. Now, he never clarifies what that actually is. But I started to wonder, I wonder if that thing that kept torturing Paul, that kept bothering Paul, the thing that God wasn't willing to take away because God said he was enough to sustain him, I wondered if that was the memory of all the people that Paul hurt and killed before he was a Christian. I wonder if Paul's past kept coming at him. Sometimes those thoughts are your past. Sometimes those thoughts come up and say, hey, remember how messed up you were? You're still that way. Hey, remember how, 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 how horrible, remember all that before Jesus? You haven't changed. Oh, you're going to church now, you think, you think you're different, you're exactly the same. You could take that thought and instead of dwelling on it going, maybe I'm not any better, you could take it back to Christ and say, Christ, what do you say? And I trust me, if you honestly go to the Lord and you say, God, here's what I'm thinking, what do you say? God, I, I feel like, you know, I'm still who I was. What do you say? I know God will speak to you. And I believe God will say something like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. You're not who I want you to be yet, but you are definitely not who you used to be. So let's keep going. Let's keep moving. But what do we do instead? We listen to sad, angry music, and we get sadder and angrier. Right? 
And so we got to make sure that, first of all, we capture it. We're not going to allow this to float around in our brain. Number two, you got to refrain. Number two, you got to renew. You got to renew. Your thought process has to start changing. How you think about things, how you process things, how you interpret things in your mind has to grow, adapt, and change. Dr. Caroline Leaf says in her new book, Switch on Your Brain, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. What is she saying? She's saying that you can literally change the way you think. You can rewire your brain. I used to laugh when people would tell me like, oh, you go to church, all they do in church is brainwash you. Well, guess what? I got a filthy brain. Maybe it needs washing. <laughs> Maybe I need to clean out some of these thoughts that keep messing with me. Maybe I need a brainwash. And here, this is important to say, listen, the way you think isn't good for you. You have to renew your thought process. You need to learn to rewire those synapses that are firing off in your brain and learn to think differently. And how do we do that? Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So number one, you got to stop acting like everybody else. Why well, I'm always thinking like this? Because everybody else you hang around thinks like that. Stop hanging around them. Stop trying to be like everybody else. One of the problems is we want to be different and the same, and it just doesn't work like that. You can't be different and the same. you got to figure out what you want to do. And so part of that might mean, listen, uh, I want to be your friend, but you, you're just a really horribly sad, mean person. And you bring me down. I just can't be close to you. I love you, but I, I can't be close to you. Okay? Th this is not being mean, but this is being honest. And you have to look at yourself. So number one, you can't copy the behavior and customs of this world. That's just not your friends. That's stuff you see on TV. That's things you listen to in music. Why do you think, you know, you see so much marijuana use among adolescents? It's not because they just want to get high, but they want to get away. It's a mental coping mechanism. It's a way to deal with the stress and the battlefield in their mind. But here's the problem. That's not a cure. That's a band-aid on a surgical wound. That's just a temporary little thing that hits you even harder when it comes back. Because the highs don't last. That's why they call weed a gateway drug. That's why it leads to harder and harder drugs. Because when that high starts to fade away, you need something harder to be able to mask the pain that you're going through. And so what I'm saying is instead of trying to put the band-aid on the surgical wound, get a new brain. Have a brain transplant. Renew your thinking process. So what does he say? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Okay? How does he do that? We kept talking about reading your Bible. Okay? Reading your Bible changes the way you think. Because you look at something and you go, that's interesting how God sees it. That's not how I saw it. That's not how I thought about it. And so you have a choice. I can keep thinking about it the way I always have, or I can understand this is how it's supposed to be. Okay? Change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I hear young people all the time, I don't know what God wants in my life. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God's will is. Well, here, listen, my Bible says that if you let God transform you into a new person and you let him change the way you think, then you'll learn how God's will is for your life. Then it'll be easier to figure out why, because you start thinking more like him and less like you. And so you start to recognize his patterns. You start to recognize how he moves, how he interacts, how he thinks. 
which is good, pleasing, and guess what? Perfect. We're trying so hard to be perfect, but with the way your brain is wired, you'll never accomplish that. You have to allow God to change the way you think. Me and my wife, we have this kind of running joke where we tell each other our immediate thought, which is never usually a godly thought. So she'll say something to me. I'll be like, you want to know what I was just thinking? She's like, what? I was just like, well, I'll punch you in the gut. She'd be like, I thought the same thing. Like, we'll say things like that. Like, we'll watch on TV. Like, there'll be like something crazy. And she'll look at me. She goes, you know what I just thought? I was like, what? I would murder that person. I was like, that is not godly. She said, I know. <laughs> right? But what is it? It's the first thought. The first thought's not always a good one. Right? You don't want to turn in your rough draft. Okay? You want to work on it a little bit. You want to work on it a little bit. And so for us, listen, sometimes there's a first thought. There's, there's something that pops up to your mind. And we've all been there, right? Somebody says something to you. Your first thought is usually not the one that flies out of your mouth. And if it is, that's why you keep getting in trouble. Because you just think you can say it because you thought it. Nah, dummy, that's why you keep getting in trouble. And so part of it is learning not just to control your mouth but to change your mind. Because the tongue nobody can control but your mind God can transform for you. So if you can learn to transform your mind, learn to change the way you think about things, learn to change the way you process information. Then when somebody says something bogus to you with that thinking being different, it's not like, oh, I can't believe you said that. You're so offensive. I loved you. I heard you. You start to think differently. You start to think, why did you say that? I wonder if that's how you see yourself. You know what? I'm not mad at you. I feel bad right now. Because you must be that ugly on the inside that you want to tear me down. Hey, what, why, did, why did my dad leave? You know, I've been so many years mad at him, but I've been changing the way I've been thinking. And now God's beginning to show me that, that he was a man just like I was. And he made mistakes. And the difference between my dad and me is that my dad doesn't know God. So now instead of being angry at my dad, I'm thinking, man, I want my father to know my heavenly father. It changes the way you think and it changes the way you process things. So no longer are you upset. No longer are you angry. Man, my house is so messed up. Everybody's always yelling, screaming. No, God begins to change your thought process and go, well, why do you think I have you in that house? Why do you think I called you there? You're going to be the light and darkness. And sometimes that doesn't mean the Middle East. Sometimes that means the middle of your living room. And God says, listen, you're the one that I called to be there. And I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. But I'll also change the way you look at these things so that you stop looking at them with anger, with disdain, with disgust. And you start looking at them with grace, with mercy, with love. I'm telling you, when you allow God to change the way you think, I could not be married if God wasn't continually changing my mind. I wouldn't survive. There are times my wife drives me nuts, I drive her nuts. If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of our mind, I couldn't do it. But God continues to help me. Why? Because I allow him to continue to renew the way I think. So you got to capture, refrain. You got to renew. And the last one is this. You got to replace. You got to replace. What do I mean by that? We're trying to think new, but we have to replace the negative thoughts that we got rid of. If we captured thoughts and we got rid of them, we got to replace those thoughts. We have to think about something. You're not just going to be a vegetable that's not conscious, all right? You have to think about something. And it's important to replace the thoughts. Now, the problem is usually when we replace a thought, we replace it with another bad thought. So instead of being sad, we're angry, right? Okay, I won't be sad. I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be mad at them. I'm going to punch them. That doesn't help. That doesn't help, right? 
We replace it with the negative thought. Instead of being mad at them, I'm going to be mad at myself. No, that doesn't help. Okay? So you got to go beyond trading one bad thing for another bad thing. You got to learn to replace evil with good. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Now, hey, let me just pause right there. That idea of fixing your thoughts. Make sure you focus in and put it pointed in this direction. Fix your thoughts on what is true, okay, what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You got to change the way you think and what you're thinking about. Okay, what you're thinking about. And this helps with so many areas. You're struggling with pornography, change what you think about. So instead of thinking about sex in your head, learn to start thinking about Jesus. I guarantee you, unless you are really weird, you cannot think about Jesus and porn at the same time. I'm just saying, can we be real for a second? It's just honest, right? If you're like, well, why am I struggling? Because what's your mind dwelling on? Because when your mind is entertaining the thought of that guy you saw in school or that girl you saw in class or that thing you're looking at on Instagram, when your mind begins to continue to just marinate on that thought. I've said it a million times, right? I can only watch Food Network so long before I got to go make a sandwich. And so if you keep messing with that thought, the Bible talks about how it eventually it gives birth to death. And so you got to get to that point where you start understanding. You good, bro? Maybe you can sit over one. Thanks, Aaron. You got to start getting to that point where you start understanding, even if the thought's sitting next to me, I'm going to slide over one. Because I can't let the thoughts get in my head. I got enough things going on in my brain. So when you learn to replace and say, listen, I, I can't keep thinking like that, but I can't think of nothing. So what am I going to think of instead? Okay. Learn to replace the negative thoughts that you're having, those things that you're battling with. Okay, when you're, when you're struggling with the thought process of how you're not good, think about some of the things you are good at. All right? So, listen, man, I may not have an amazing body. I get it. I mean, I'm good looking, though. I ain't going to lie to y'all. But I may not be like I used to be. But I'm, I got personality for days. And I got mad game. I can look at my wife across the room. Boy, she goes so red in the face. I just look at her, I was like, she ain't here, so I'm just gonna pretend it's the exit sign. I'll just be like, I mean, hey, just wanna see your face again. And she'll just go, why? I'm not gonna worry about what I'm not good at, because I know I'm good at a lot of things. Too many of y'all worry about what you can't do, and you stop thinking about the things you were good at, the things you're gifted with, the things God called you to do. Too many of you keep comparing yourself to everybody else and you forget that there's other people comparing themselves to you. There's qualities about you that people love. There's things about you that people want to be like. And so quit worrying about all those other thoughts and learn to replace them. And so think about some of these things that God says to think about, right? Think about what is true. I keep going back to the word, but the Bible talks about the washing of the word. We talk about brainwash, right? What washes you the word? How do we know what's true and what's false? Go back to the word. If it's in the word, it's true. If it's not, it's false. Easy. Think about what's true. Think about what's honorable. Think about what's right. Think about what's pure. What's lovely. Think about good things. What's admirable. 
Don't worry about all the negatives. Man, what do you admire about somebody? So often, I don't know if y'all are, are like me, we've, I've had this before, but I'm sure there's a few of you in this room that you see people and automatically your thought is not what you admire about them. In your head, you hate on them really quick. In your head, you're like, they think they're cool. Okay, cool guy. <laughs> all right, buddy. And you know what that is. That's saltiness on you. That's a little hate in your heart. Some of you, new person, walks into class first time, really nervous. Ew, he's ugly. That's just your ugly heart. That's just on you. That's nobody else. That's your own issues. Okay? But when you think about what's admirable, when you learn to think about what's lovely, when you start to have that thought process, it changes how you look at things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me pause on that one, that idea of things that are worthy of praise. It's not just things that are praise. It's things that are worthy of praise. Well, what does that mean? Some things aren't worth your praise. But you keep thinking about it. Right? Some things aren't worth your praise. Aren't worth that much attention. Aren't worth that much adoration. So you look at a group of people that you want to be friends with and you're that awkward person standing around the corner like, you want to talk to me? And you're giving them all this praise. Dude, stop thinking about that. It's not even that important. You know, you praise athletes like, uh, like nobody's like, oh, man, I got their shoes and I got their jersey and I got their poster. And you know what they don't got? Your name. They don't know you. They don't care about you. If your dad cannot pay his mortgage, they are not going to pay it for you. That's just how it goes. But, what, but we give them so much praise. And then God's like, hey, how about you think about me? I woke you up this morning. I healed your family. I restored your faith. I showed up when nobody else did. I spoke to you when nobody else was speaking. Think about me. You know one of my favorite things to do is during a time of worship and in a moment, we're going to have some time to do that. But for me during worship, instead of always just singing the song, I love to take spiritual inventory. What I mean by that is I just love to think about the things that God has done in my life. So when we're singing a song and, and we're saying things like you are worthy of praise, I like to stop and go, let me be reminded of why. What is it about you, God, that I'm worthy of praise? Man, I remember when nobody else should have believed me. I remember when there was no way I should have been promoted into that position. And God, you still called me to it. I, I remember that even to this day, there's no reason I should be able to hand a microphone and speak into the lives of anybody. But Lord, you chose the foolish things of this world. God, I praise you because you were always faithful to the promises you've had in my life. And here, I take it a step further as a pastor. Honestly, one of my favorite things to do is I'm in the back a lot of times watching you guys worship, and I take inventory over your lives. And I start to look out, and I go, God, I remember when you first brought that kid. And I remember how they struggled. I remember how they hid in the back, and now I see them worshiping you and lifting up their hands. Thank you, God. God, I remember when that kid didn't even want to admit they were a Christian, didn't want to come to church, kept giving us attitude, but kept showing up. I love people that's like, I don't even want to go to church. You're here every week. I don't even believe in God. You keep showing up. I don't know who you think you're fooling, but we know what God's doing in your life. I love to watch that and go, God, look at you. God, look at you showing off with that kid. You know what it does to me? It reminds me of how, number one, how lucky I am to have this job. Number two, how lucky I am to have you guys in my life. And number three, how fortunate I am to have a front row seat to the miracles that God does every single day in your lives. I'm telling you, your worship experience changes when it goes from just following the bouncing ball on the karaoke screen to just learning to admire and appreciate who God is. There are times when my mind's not right, 
I take it into worship. And listen, be careful because sometimes we equate worship with music. Worship is adoration to God. I don't need music to worship God. I can sing my own songs. I can speak my own words. For me, worship is taking inventory. It's just thinking about all the good things that God has done. It's just sitting there and making it personal. Because here's what we do. God, uh, thanks for waking us all up. And God, thanks, you know, that you're good to all of us. And God, thanks that you're cool. And we speak these big generalities. But when you learn to say, God, that moment when I was alone in my room and I had the razor to my wrist and nobody else saw. And you spoke that still small voice. God, I'll never forget that. I'll never let that go. God, thank you. Thank you for being there when I needed you. Thank you for loving me when no one else loved me, God. That is worthy of praise. Not all the other dumb stuff we give praise to. Does that make sense? Worship team, I'm going to call you up. and I'm going to ask you guys if you can stand. We're going to get ready to close this out. And worship team, I don't know if I'm hoping the Lord's got to direct you into a song. But I want to close this portion out by taking time. To worship God. To take our mind off of all the other things that we struggle with and all the other negative things and all the baggage that maybe we walked in here tonight with. And just for a moment, just take the next 10 minutes and say, God, I want to think about you. I want to focus on you. Now listen, if worship is weird to you, if it's different, here's usually what I tell people, especially if it's their first few times, just look at the words and think about it. You don't always have to sing it. But if you've been here a while, worship doesn't work when you're silent. Because here's the truth. Our mind easily wanders. You know why I like to pray out loud and why I like to worship out loud? Because my brain can't do two things at once. I can't speak and think of something else at the same time. So when I worship God with the mouth open and out loud, I'm not thinking about negative things. I'm not thinking about sad things. I'm not thinking about bad things. When I pray with my mouth open wide, my mind doesn't drift to what am I going to eat when Excel's over. Okay, because Loki, I'm hungry. But my mind doesn't go that route. So I want to encourage you guys, if this isn't your first time, I want you to take the next 10 minutes and really open up your heart. And really allow God to say, hey, listen, man, I, I really need to talk to you.